You're listening to KJ Recaps. Welcome back to Stranger Things Season 2, Episode 9, a.k.a. the finale, also known as The Gate. I am Jess. I am Kim. Oh, Kim, I can't believe we're here. Things have come full circle. We have so much to discuss in this finale. I'm so sad it's over. So sad it's over. It's like we've been hanging out with friends for, you know, eight or nine days, and now... We won't get to hang out with them again until hopefully not like 15 months from now, like this way it was. <laughs> oh, it's um, back to the real world now. And yeah, a whole year of waiting for season three. I hope there is a season three. I can't imagine that they would not, uh, you know, do another season. But this finale felt like it could have acted as a series finale if they uh, if they needed it to. I don't know if that was deliberate or not, but I'm going to be like holding my breath for the announcement of season three. Yeah, I feel like that's maybe the way they want to end, um, you know, each of these seasons is that it could like, you know, they're kind of calling this a sequel. They didn't call it as much a second season uh, in the kind of marketing of it. Um, and so while you can see that you know, they clearly have a place where they could go and there's lots of storylines that we talked about that weren't wrapped up. At the same point, you know, they did wrap up things kind of nicely enough that you're it's a it's a good point. I believe the third has been confirmed. Oh, it has. Um, yeah. You know what? So, I have not been on the internet as we have discussed. I have not looked right. at anything stranger things. So <laughs> I am happy to hear that. Yes. Uh, and hopefully they stick with October. I think it makes a lot of sense for Netflix, like from a launch date to, you know, group it with Halloween. So agree. Uh, we will be back with season three for sure when that happens. And thank you, everybody who's joined us for the the uh, the ride that is season two. And I just wanted to say coming full circle from um, episode one that Phil, who we called out in episode one, wrote to us, you guys, this week. And I'm just so excited. So thank you, Phil, for following up and sending Yay. another note. Thank you, we Phil. Can, we will now reply. And Phil said a number of very nice things, which we really appreciate. But one of the things that he commented on, which actually we don't get comments on very often, is the voice in our intro music uh, <laughs> that tells you you're listening to K&J Recaps. And I think we've maybe referenced this once or twice before in the early days, but Kim and I are actually sisters-in-law. Yeah. Um, we So we're friends and family uh, yeah. by marriage. And the voice is Kim's dad. <laughs> oh, my God, you guys. It like it's my dad. He was so excited when we asked him to do the voice for the uh, <laughs> for the intro. So we were all together, uh, actually vacationing in a cottage, and Jess and I were working on some podcasting. And we were like, we need some kind of intro. So my dad, who was staying with us at the cottage, we were like, you know, Dad, you have a voice that is perfect for podcasting. Can you please do an intro? <laughs> he felt like a celebrity, and then <laughs> it was amazing that he did like 50 takes yeah was there was like, a lot of takes oh my god it was so funny he was like he was just trying out all of like the different inflections he was like you're listening to j recaps you're listening to j recaps That's right. it was yeah it was awesome uh and really adorable so thanks dad people love yeah. your marlboro man voice Yes, we will make, we will comment to him. Thankfully, he does not listen to the podcast, which is probably good for Kim and I. Uh, but he is very supportive of the endeavor, so we will pass that along. 
Um, and again, thanks to everybody. I think we have another review, Kim. We do. Yes. Thank you, Chris from Syracuse for your very nice review. Uh, and then just one last really quick uh, follow-up note that we get from Mike confirming that yes, he does in fact have harnesses for his rats. And Amazing. I am so happy to hear this because if I was wrong, I did not want to be right. Like... <laughs> <laughs> this is the way that I want to picture all rat walking in the future. So thanks again, Absolutely. Mike. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, well, we should get into this finale. Uh, it was uh, a, a long one. Like, it was a lot of wrap-up. But as you mentioned, there are still lots of directions for season three to go. Um, so as is usually the case with Stranger Things, we pick up immediately at the end of episode eight, where we see this really nice reunion between Mike and Eleven, where they sort of tearfully give each other a hug. And Mike says he never gave up on her. And she knows because she heard all of his calls. Um, Hopper and Eleven, sorry, Hopper and Eleven hug each other. And then Mike realizes that Hopper's been hiding her. So Mike is understandably upset and starts screaming at Hopper. And then they go into another room to talk about it in private. So um, essentially, Hopper says it was for Elle's protection and it was for everyone's protection uh, that he had her hidden. But Mike is not satisfied with this. He's screaming at him tearfully. And then as he's sort of like hitting Hopper, Hopper pulls him in for a hug and Mike just sort of like crumples into him. Like it's just I think he's overwhelmed with emotion to have to have Elle back. And good for Hopper here. You know, he isn't just like. He's not quite a father figure, just like he's not quite a father to Elle. You know, it's different, but he recognizes the emotions that Mike is going through and how what he's done has been incredibly hard on everybody. And I love that he just kind of like, you know, he's kind of pushing back, but he knows when to not push back. And it's not a recreation of the disastrous um, separation between Hopper and Eleven, right? Like he's not going to resort down to a 13 year old's point of view he's going to stay above it and it serves him well to do so so for sure uh, well done so then in the other room we have 11 hugging lucas and dustin um and it's kind of all reunions but then when max goes to introduce herself 11 just brushes past her rudely i was kind of sorry we didn't get a better max and 11 uh reconciliation slash meeting you know what i mean Yeah, I really agree. I mean, honestly, this was something that we have said all season, so I don't really need to harp on it more here. But even with this one and only episode where we have Eleven back with the kids, she's only back with the kids for a handful of minutes. And then she is off with Hopper again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, like what we were likely hoping to see in terms of like the group coming together, Max becoming a full member of the party, um, a friendship potentially blossoming between Mike and Max and Elle and Max, which we haven't seen thus far. Like, none of that happened. So I'm expecting that will happen in season three or we'll see it uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, down the road where that has happened off screen or something. But, yeah, like a little disappointing there. Yeah, I think, you know, they clearly made a direction that this was going to be about Elle finding herself outside of the friends and her relationship growth with Hopper. I'm really happy about the way some of those things worked out, but I I totally, and even then we get a pretty lengthy one month later scene and yet we have still have no interaction uh, between those two very strong girl characters who have like 
you know, made their way into this all male group that I think is a really cool thing. So um, I'm hoping that that's something we get next season, but we certainly don't get it right here. (laughs) Um, No, we don't. (laughs) But we do get a a great greeting with Joyce, who is just like so happy to see her. I think there's a really quick shot of just everyone's incredulity about the fact that Hopper has kept her hidden for a year. Like, everybody in that room is kind of like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, they thought this girl was dead. They yeah, thought she was dead, and then she showed up and saved them just in the nick of time. And she looks like a punk from an MTV video. I mean, like, right? It and was like, all the things. How could you not be like absolutely gobsmacked by that? Entrance? Shocked. And that uh, Hopper, not the most you know paternal seeming person. <laughs> like I think you know, even just Joyce is like, what? Yeah, like none um, of those guys have seen him like dance awkwardly dance. and like you know I really hope that happens more absolutely yeah exactly. um, so she asks to see will will is still put under he's in bed and joyce says she's not doing well 11 knows because she says she saw um they see the message about closing the gate and joyce asks about would she be able to go and close the gate uh and so we see a shot of the enormous gate yeah like like it has really grown multiple stories um and all the demo dogs surrounding it and protecting it yeah um so then a a shot of karen listening to (laughs) barbara streisand in a bubble bath with candles going reading a romance novel like hair piled up on top of her head like i'm not gonna lie like karen looks amazing hell yes you know, like she looks so good. And Ted is just like slumped over downstairs oh. asleep. So when the doorbell yeah. rings and Karen is like literally screaming at Ted to get the door, he is just, you know, useless. Oh, uh, so she finally gets up, puts on a robe and throws the door open to find like Billy shirt open to, you know, to his jeans. He is laying it on thick. Yeah. With the flirting with Karen, and Karen is living for it. She is eating it up. Because, um, I mean, like, Billy's horrible, but he's not bad on the eyes. Like, no, it's you true. Know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Karen doesn't know that he's the fucking worst. He, everything he says makes you think he's the best. He's concerned about his sister. Nancy's not his type. He acts like incredibly calm. You know, yeah. he, he, I don't know, just does everything right here. And of course, for all of us, we're like, oh my God, you know, this guy's a sociopath. But like, right. But Karen, Karen is like, what a nice young man. And look at that, <laughs> look at that tush and those tight jeans. <laughs> those abs. Yeah. Karen, I seriously think, is the type of woman who, who might say tush. <laughs> I, I agree with that yeah definitely okay. and it's like Karen your kids aren't at home how are you relaxing in a bubble bath for the romance novel you lit- less than one year ago had like an interaction with you know the know. FBI like and, I don't know Joyce Mike has been gone for two sight. straight days and she's like I'll take advantage of this time to read my romance <laughs> novel in a bath exactly. and be like I'm surprised there wasn't a bottle of wine, like, in the tub with her. Um, But, I mean, either way, she does point Billy in the direction of where Mike actually is, unfortunately, which is Joyce's house. So she gives him directions and uh, then watches him walk out the door. Yep. 
so Hopper is telling Eleven that the gate is not what it was like before, uh, that it's grown yeah. a lot. Plus, there's all these demo dogs. And, you know, Elle is confident that she can do it. I like where she's like, Hopper's like, you're not hearing me. She's like, I'm hearing you. Yeah. <laughs> do it. She's moved a um, train since they last saw each other. So, like. Exactly. And put on she, makeup. So, guys, She's feeling confident. Yeah. Um, and this is where Mike raises the same problem you did, Kim, which is that this will kill Will if they, because of the hive mind concept. And, you know, that needs to be addressed. And so Joyce proposes that they work on making the virus, making Will not a hospitable place for the virus to be, which, of course, goes back to the whole heat versus cold thing that's happened since early on in the season. Uh, and they want to burn the virus out of him somewhere where Will doesn't know. And uh, the place that makes the most sense that Will has clearly never been is the cabin in the woods that of Hopper's. Yeah, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was brilliant. Uh, like, I, I'm surprised that we didn't think of this before. I know. Because, like, obviously the virus needs it to be cold. Viruses, they do better in cold temperatures. And the only thing that can really kill a virus, right, is, like, heat or antibiotics. But, like, there's no <laughs> antibiotics for mind flayers. So. Well, yeah, heat. like, I, whatever the virus tends to like. I mean, I think it could go either way. But just adjust it's so that you're not providing the environment it's looking for and you know then you like you can see where and success then might come from yeah giant shadow cloud will erupt from your mouth that is just and, science yes. it's science um so nancy and steve are looking for supplies in the shed pile and uh he tells nancy that he should be going that she should be going with jonathan so nancy says she can't just leave mike and steve's like no one's leaving anyone like i might not have been a good boyfriend but it turns out i'm a damn good babysitter and nancy sort of starts to say something here but steve just says like it's okay we don't need to talk about it like because he's accepting it but he does like he says it in the present tense he says, I may not be a good boyfriend, but I'm like a damn good babysitter. Like, but there's no way he doesn't. I mean, obviously, by the end, he's known. So it just is a tense. Yeah, thing. I think that yeah. it was just sort of like either way. I think he means the same thing, which is like, yeah. you know, I might not be a good boyfriend, like in general. But yeah, but you're, I don't think yeah. he has any illusions that they are still a couple together. But, well, yeah, yeah no, like exactly. she's like. I can't leave Mike. <laughs> like, nothing about you, Steve. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. Oh, Steve. Steve. Um, so uh, Mike and Eleven are saying goodbye, and Mike tells her, like, to be careful. He can't lose her again. Literally. I mean, like, they just found each other again 10 minutes ago. So. That's right. <laughs> uh, so they lean in for a kiss, but Hopper calls for Eleven before they make contact. Hopper! Mm. Yeah, I don't think that's uh, an accident. No. <laughs> uh, let's go. He has a few fatherly moments in this episode, which I find really adorable. Yeah. Um, so Hopper and Al leave for the lab. Oh, so we get, yes, this awesome, finally, kind of reconciliation between the two on the drive there. So first he comments on her look. Um, and he's a little bit, like, ornery I don't know a better word right now and he says he's not mad but he wants to know where she's been and then when Elle drops that she went to see mama like just the look on David oh, yeah. Harper's face is awesome like he's like, just like oh look shit. of shock and immediate yeah. tone change yeah and just from like a you know 
responsibility perspective, he's like, how the hell did you get there? And she's like, oh, I just, a man in a big truck took me. Like, (laughs) it's definitely not, uh, you know. I love it so much that they give Hopper this, you know, like, fatherly concern. Like, if a child were to to hitchhike with a random man in a truck, like, that is a, you know, that is something to cause concern. And despite mm-hmm. the fact that Eleven can handle herself, she has these abilities that make her probably the most dangerous person in the world. And Hopper still has the same levels of concern for her that he would have for any child in that kind of dangerous situation, right? And I yeah. love that uh, about the way that they have sort of painted this character is that, you know, like, whether or not she is a powerful being she's still a child and he's treating her like any other child yeah and that's what's really like humanizing for her um and you know in his defense to dr owens of her later on that's that's the part he's really trying to underscore that she should get to be a kid and that means rules and eat your peas even if they're mushy and and egos come after dinner and you know like all of these rules and he's been too far on one side of it but there's a real rationale for why he's like that and he also yes. knows a lot more about the world. Like, you know, he is the chief of police. And, like, yeah. <laughs> creepy things can happen that she doesn't even necessarily know are going to happen. I mean, she just walked through, like, this sketchy, you know, underbelly of Chicago, too. And, yes, she can handle herself, but she is still, like, this, you know, child. Yeah. Um, so she doesn't tell him the whole story. So he doesn't know any of the parts of Kali's story or anything like that. Um, she just eventually says that she shouldn't have left and Hopper softens here that he's like, I should have been there and I shouldn't have lied to you about your mom. And he makes this like black hole analogy about sucking everything towards it and destroying it. And then he tells her about Sarah. Like he, he seems almost surprised that she didn't know who Sarah was. Like, I mean, this was a, a really touching scene between the two of them. Very. And I think too, like, um, even at the end when he's like talking to Joyce about loss and how you know it it does get easier every day he's a man who's never he's buried it so deep he doesn't even realize people don't know about it you know and that you're right that he seems surprised yeah yeah do do you think that Elle will ever tell Hopper about Callie I do because I feel like that is one of the storylines that will be uh explored in season three yes I agree my only thought, my wonder is that whether if Callie shows up in Hawkins, whether her existence will be a surprise to Hopper at that time or I we, see. whether right. she might have filled him in ahead of time. But I mean, that's probably not enormously relevant. Um, but either way, she does absolutely open up to him at least a little bit here. And uh, they have a really touching moment that sort of like, you know, culminates in them holding hands like father and daughter Oh, my God. And then and when she, she says, says he likes her look. What? Like, yeah. He's like, I don't hate it. It's kind of cool. <laughs> bitchin'. And he's like, Aww, yeah, okay. Hopper, you're a cool dad. <laughs> um, so Dustin is emptying Joyce's fridge to fit the oh dead God. demo Amazing. dog in it. I mean, like, yes. So, like, I feel like maybe this demo dog will serve the purpose that I had originally thought that a slug that was never copped up by Hopper would serve, which was to allow for testing and that kind of thing. I don't know. Do you think this demo dog will reappear in season three or no? I do. Like, I feel that, 
you know, they may have shut down the lab, but that doesn't mean that the entire investigation into what has happened is has gone anywhere. Agreed. Um, Brenner is still out there. Brenner knows that the gate had been opened at one point. You know what I mean? Like this, I feel like all of those things are clues or breadcrumbs heading into season three. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So uh, I also just really like it wrapped up in a blanket. It just like looks so like, (laughs) I don't know. The Demo Dogs have some redemption here, ultimately culminating, of course, in Dart's pretty substantial um, redemption as a character. But I don't know. They're not as like hideous as I maybe had given them before. When they open their mouths, they're still very disgusting. But like Dart was like... There's yeah. dog there's dog attributes to them. Like there are, for and, sure. Yeah. I mean, so if they were possessed by the mind flayer and now they are not, uh, then we don't really know what what their sort of default yeah. personality might be. When they're not Maybe yeah, you to, give them yeah. nougat and they don't need a bob. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I haven't forgot about Bob, you guys. I'm very sorry about Bob. I oh, my God, you guys. Can I just, like, quick aside? So, like, for the first time after watching episode nine, so now having watched the whole season, I did start to look at a few things online. And one thing was a quiz on BuzzFeed of, like, whether or not your Stranger Things opinions are in line with other people's. So it was just, like, you know, like... um I don't know. Which season do you like better? Season one or season two? Those types of questions. So one of the questions was, who would you bring back from the dead? Barb or Bob? (gasps) How can you make me choose BuzzFeed? So did you eventually choose? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Can I guess what you chose? Yes. Did did you choose Barb? No. And I hate myself. Oh my god, when it really came down to it, you guys, I chose Bob. Why? I mean, it was a very difficult choice, but I Absolutely. just feel like obviously you know how much I love Barb and how much I wanted her to be alive. Um, but I do think that like we got more time with Bob. We had very few scenes with Barb. We didn't get to know her quite as much. I mean, and especially Bob going down in this blaze of heroic glory. I don't know. And maybe it was just because it was more recent and really kind of like still with me. <laughs> but I like, I mean, that was the hardest choice I've made all week. <laughs> amazing and how Um, are you aligned with everybody else so I was in the majority by like a very small margin I think that it was like 47% Barb and 53% Bob okay um so an impossible choice for everyone obviously but like even I didn't know that's where that choice would go until I until I really had to you know hit the button I just feel like Bob had more uh, ability to make a free will decision to put himself into that level of danger and be more accepting of the consequences. And Barb was literally, you know, pulled in. Snatched. Yeah, Yeah. I absolutely. And like, you know, Barb has, she had so little time on this earth. She hadn't even experienced life yet. Like Bob would want Barb to live. Like Bob's answer to that I know that he would. And that's why I chose Bob. Yeah, it's totally fair. Okay. Well, there's no right answer. I hate myself either way, but you know what? BuzzFeed, like that was that was an impactful survey. I don't even know if you know <laughs> what you're doing to people. <laughs> um, okay, so ba- sorry, back to the scene. Okay, so demo dog is in the fridge. 
Uh, Mike is worried about Elle while Lucas and Max are tidying up. They're telling Mike to stop pacing. There's nothing that they can do. Um, Steve uses a sports analogy to say, listen, if a coach calls a play in a game, you you execute it. And Mike is like, we're not in the game. We're sitting on the bench. And I like there's like a cute moment where Steve sort of like stumbles to try to continue his analogy. And then yeah. it's like, yeah, you're right. We are on the bench. So there's nothing we can do. Uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> Dustin disagrees. He says that because the demo dogs have a hive mind, mind, they could draw them away from the lab, allowing a clear path for Hopper and Al. And this turns out to be crucial because there Very. is no chance that Hopper would have been able to take down all of those demo dogs in the lab. No. So um, I, I do love that about this show is that. At the same time, it's realistic that Hopper and Joyce would insist that the group of kids stay behind and not put themselves in harm's way. But the kids have minds of their own and they are, uh, you know, brave and stubborn and all of these things as well. So they have their own adventures that prove to be consistently integral to the overall, you know, success of the mission. So like mm -hmm. everyone has their part to play. And we saw that in this episode with sort of the three different groups getting uh, quick shots in between to show the progress of all three. And uh, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, everybody has a really a contribution to make. It's very important. The kids think of this on their own and yeah. do it. And they're a huge reason for why, well, really, why it all works, right? Each each part is just as crucial and uh, totally agree. Yeah, and that's, that is something that, like, I, I felt like it's a sort of fine line that you tread in terms of realism because one of the things that I really liked about season one is that because the kids were on their own and the adults didn't really know at this point their their involvement or what was going on, the kids ran the show. And mm -hmm. now in season two, a little bit in the, you know, very few interactions that we had as a as a whole group all together, you definitely did see Hopper in particular, who was sort of shooting down some of the ideas and that sort of thing, which is, I think, realistic in an adult child relationship where they are the authority mm -hmm. and whatever. But like, I like that the show breezes past that really quickly. And Joyce in particular is always one who does not sort of like give less credence to the kids' opinions simply because they're kids. So like mm -hmm. all of that done very well and the show consistently sort of walks a, a good line there in my opinion. Um, um, so ultimately Steve says that he is, um, he, he is in charge and so the kids are not going anywhere, but they come up with their own plan anyway, which is that they're going to get in the tunnels, set fire to a hub where all of the tunnels sort of converge to draw the demo dogs away. And, um, you know, Steve again sort of puts his foot down like it's not happening. It's going to go real well. Steve's authority is uh, well obeyed throughout the entirety of this episode. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he says he's a good babysitter, and yet... He is, yeah. <laughs> he is an excellent babysitter, but, like, has... He is, like... He is, like, no match for... How many no. are there? Four 13-year-olds who are just going to do what they want anyway. So just get yeah. on board, Steve. He's a babysitter in the sense that he accompanies them and is a crucial player on the adventure. Exactly. <laughs> He's yeah. not stopping the adventure <laughs> from happening. Exactly. Uh, so then we have Billy arrive with the roar of an engine. And Billy, like, 
again, want to reiterate that I don't think that what we learned about him and his dad in the last episode forgives anything. It, It more contextualizes it. But then I also think, like, this is a very weird scenario to arrive in and, like, not know the backstory of. And, like, he's going to be really awful to Lucas and he's going to be a total... I really do think he's like a psychopath, but um, yeah. But also, like he confronts Steve. Steve tells him this like total lie that Max isn't there, but like the kids are looking at him out the window, and it's seriously, like, kids, you have no chill. You have no chill. How are you hiding from Billy and then like really, like obviously watching. staring at him through the window? Like you did this. Okay, well, totally. You know, and Billy, and Billy did knows this, but they didn't help. That, no. <laughs> Like, clearly something's up. He throws Steve to the ground. He bursts in the house. He goes right for Lucas, which is really awful. And tells oh, Max yeah. that when she, she doesn't listen, things get broken. And he's, like, super threatening to Lucas. Lucas needs him in the balls, which is awesome. And then yeah, Steve comes up and just, like, punches Billy in the face. And then when he ducks underneath Billy's punch and punches him again, like, for about five seconds, you're like, wow, Steve yeah. might win this fight. And yes. then... Not so much. And things take a turn. Here's a question. I am curious to know uh, how much cocaine Billy snorted in anticipation of this fight because he's a fucking crazy person. (laughs) I mean, like, I swear he was like, he was just, you know, poised for this fight as he's like hopping on top of Steve on the ground. He's like, woo! You know, like he's... Yeah. He's just loving it like a fucking psychopath. I yeah. really did. He's like definitely getting off on the violence, which is not good for like all of our characters. And uh, I will say that I just started watching while I was waiting for us to record this one, a few of the episodes of Behind Stranger Things, the Netflix series that they did. And it's okay. um, it's like interviewing the characters. So it's interesting from like a behind the scenes perspective and like, the Duffer Brothers seem to be in all the episodes. I've only watched like three. Um, sorry, so they're interviewing the actors while in character? No, sorry. Like they're interviewing the actors. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Like, <laughs> I was like, as that in, is like, interesting. Sorry. I will watch yeah. that immediately. No, it is like the actors about what they think was going on. And it's interesting because there's kids in every single one. So it's like the director yeah. and the Duffer Brothers who are the creators. And then like they swap out different actors. Um, but one of the interesting, because I love behind the scenes details, but the actor who plays Steve is on with Dustin. And this part where Billy hits him over the head with a plate, that was like supposed to break one way and didn't and like hit the actor kind of a different way. Anyway, that's the take they use because they only wanted to do it once. But he got like pretty realistically beamed in the head. In that oh, shot. no. Yeah. It was like pretty crazy. And also, well, the guy it looked Billy, amazing. Right. The guy who plays Billy was the Red Power Ranger. Which, oh, in like the him remake? With, yeah. When you see him without his mullet, he looks very, very different. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I believe that. Seriously, yeah. seeing pictures with it without seeing pictures of the actors without the 80s hair in general. I mean, like Will it's without weird. his like incredibly unfortunate bowl cut uh is completely different. I mean, like Dustin we see have a couple of hair evolutions it's, just in wow. this episode but like yeah he yes. looks really different without his big mop of hair um does Steve still have the same hair in real life <laughs> pretty much and he talks yeah, so he so. grew that's what he says he says he grew his out 
Um, and Dacre Montgomery is the name of the guy who plays Billy. And Billy's was a wig. And he's like, so at the end of the day, Billy got to take off this wig all the time. And Steve's like, six months with the mullet. <laughs> <laughs> that like is just, amazing. Yeah. Um, so they have this crazy fight. Um, the kids are really helpless. You know, Max is beating the shit out of Steve until, sorry, not Max, Billy's beating the shit out of Steve <laughs> until Max spots uh, one of the syringes with some sleeping medicine still in it and she jams it into Billy's neck. I think you're right. It's like, I mean, I guess it was a child's dose because he doesn't fully go under immediately. Not immediately, um, yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's still disoriented and he continues to threaten Max until she almost like, beans him in the nuts with the nail bat and he says that he will leave them alone do you think that that's like something that he is sticking to they exchange a look later on but that's the last we see of him in this episode I I think that we have not seen the last of Billy, but I do think that this is going to have enough of, a in, of an impact that we're not going to see the same Billy in season three um right. I I don't know that he will ever be a part of our crew or anything like that, but I do think that we may see a bit of a reformed Billy. Uh, and maybe he has a newfound, like, respect for Max that, like, um, you know, prevents him from bullying her the way that he has. Uh, because I think that maybe it was the fact that he felt she was an easy target before and she's made it clear now that she isn't. I am right. really happy that I was wrong in my uh, prediction that it would be Eleven who sort of stands up on Max's behalf to scare Billy or, you know, and or Billy's father into submission. I'm glad that it's Max herself who did it. Like, yeah, that was a really empowering moment for her that I'm happy that she had. And yeah, I do think we're going to see more of Billy, but not not the same levels of abuse. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. And I think she is growing up. She has a, uh, you know, pack around her now. Yeah, support they, system now. You know, it's 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 too bad that he didn't get to go through the same, not that he necessarily would have transformation as Steve from the perspective of like suddenly Steve kind of in a similar st- scene ended up fighting a Demogorgon with a bat, with a bat which right. like, Took away a lot of his, like, yeah, he just included him in the group a lot more quickly. And, like, there's a much bigger evil to fight uh, yeah. when that's the case. Like, um, ultimately, the the turning point for Steve, I think, was when he, um, he like, abandoned his friends who were uh, being bullies to Nancy. Yeah. And then he atones for his behavior, both in being brave enough to take on this Demogorgon and go back to help Jonathan and Nancy. And then also sort of in less overt ways, um, you know, by cleaning off the graffiti and stuff that was done by his friends about Nancy, like that sort of thing. So I think maybe there's the potential that if, for instance, we see Billy's father abusing Max or... Mm-hmm. Uh, Max's mother and Billy steps in and stands up for them or something like that that's sort of a similar type of atonement or like I don't know you know change of direction that you know would be sort of comparable to what Steve did in my opinion but I think the stakes are just a lot bigger in terms of what Billy has done and what uh, his father is doing than with the graffiti and the bullying with Steve so I'm not sure that we'll see that exactly but yeah, yeah no, I hear that's you a good point 
And uh, final question on this. Do you think Steve will get beat the shit beaten out of him every season? <laughs> every season. The poor guy has to wear crazy prosthetics and like. Oh, my God. I know. Like, like he, garbage. he took a beating bad. Uh, oh. Well, it's interesting. Like in season one, he took a beating because he absolutely deserved it. And in yeah. season two, he took a beating because he was trying to do the right thing. And yeah. he was up against a guy who just like. I don't know. He was tougher than him in this instance and he fought dirty. So I don't know. I feel like maybe in season three, Steve is going to get a reprieve. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he'd appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, So the kids take off in uh, Billy's car, which is going to transition to the next scene. That's right. Um, So Max is driving incredibly fast. Like, (laughs) Max, you don't know how to drive. You've got like a book on the pedal so you can reach it maybe i love that slow it down just a little bit but i mean you don't call her zoomer for nothing right exactly yeah pedal to the metal for max um so steve is barely conscious in the back seat and then the boys are all passengers as well obviously so when he wakes up he starts to freak out when he realizes what's going on and i love this again where dustin is like dude you know chill out they all wanted to leave you behind and i brought you because i said you'd be cool but like (laughs) if they had left him behind could you imagine like steve steve and like wakes up to find an unconscious billy with like a syringe hanging out of his (laughs) neck or something like that would have been an entirely different scene (laughs) uh anyway okay so um Mac, Max gets them to the pumpkin patch successfully and they're all putting on goggles and masks and stuff, preparing to drop down into the tunnels. Steve is still, you know, like insisting that this isn't going to happen. He's putting his foot down or whatever. And then ultimately the kids aren't backing down. Like, you know, this is happening with or without Steve. So Dustin tells him, like, if you want to protect us, then protect us. And he hands him mm-hmm. his nail bat and he gives Steve some goggles and a mask. And Steve just sort of like... He realizes that he better get on board because it's going to happen with or without him. Uh, So uh, they drop down into the hole. Mike has a map to their destination and starts to leave the way. And then Steve is like, "Okay, well, you know what? I'm here, so I'm going to be leading. Thank you very much. Yeah, exactly. And then he sort of like he sort of like barks at them like a softball coach. He's like, let's do some hustle. (laughs) I loved it. (laughs) You know, So Jonathan, Nancy, and Joyce have arrived at the cabin, Hopper's cabin, with Will. I love Nancy's surprise as to how nice it is. She's like, oh, it's actually not that bad. Like, I just... (laughs) Yeah. What she'd been picturing in her mind where Hopper's been keeping Eleven is not that great. That's a little home. Yeah. (laughs) What surprise. Yeah. Uh, And they get to work building a fire. They're plugging in all kinds of space heaters. They tie Will to a cot um so then some time passes everyone's pretty sweaty the cabin is obviously getting hot and will wakes up so um the initial reaction is for him to scream in pain and joyce has flashes of bob and like turns up the heat jonathan is having a really hard time with it but joyce is clearly determined to get this thing out of will and i like yeah you know, really see even more in these scenes how the monster is able to use Will's, has been able to use Will's pleads for help to get them to do what they he wants. You know what I mean? Like Yes, exactly. Because um, it sounds so torturous, but like, is it really that torturous for Will or is it the torturous for the monster and um, he's, you know, using that vehicle? 
Exactly. He's absolutely exploiting the fact that it is, you know, coming from Will's mouth and Will's body uh, to impact his loved ones who don't want to see him come to harm. But, you know, obviously, whether or not Will himself feels any pain, certainly the person who is screaming or the thing that is screaming in pain is the monster and and not necessarily will himself and um good for joyce for really standing Mm -hmm. firm on that because uh it would be torturous to see your son screaming even if you know consciously you recognize that it isn't even necessarily his voice it's like his body in front of you so yeah joyce is just so strong in so many ways and i love her yes so Hopper and Elle arrive at the lab. Elle sort of has a couple of flashbacks of her time with Brenner there as she sort of uh, looks at, on at the building. Uh, Hopper tells her to save her energy for the, the gate and he's going to take care of the demo dogs. Much easier said than done. Uh, uh, and then they make their way down to the basement and find Owens badly injured but still alive. I, like, <laughs> I continue to feel badly about this, like... Brenner brush that we painted Owens with at the beginning of the seasons because he is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, Hopper makes a tourniquet uh, for uh, Owens wound and gives him a gun. And then Owens obviously recognizes who Eleven is as she steps, you know, sort of into frame, but has never met her before. So Hopper introduces them and uh, tells him that she's about to save their asses. So he really sort of like forcefully suggests suggests as he's like tightening the tourniquet that <laughs> it would be a very good idea if uh, Owens could return the favor by allowing Eleven to have a normal life where she's not poked and prodded. So um, obviously we I see payoff for that at the end, but like, like good for you, Hopper, for using <laughs> using this situation to its absolute maximum potential. And I think it's really important that Elle is there for that, you know, yes. because Callie in the last episode told her that he's lying and he's not, or he's naive. He's naive. You know? Yeah. Yes. Um, and so he gets the first opportunity he has where he finally has the upper hand. He makes a very forceful case for it. She is there to see that that is made and, you know, it is going to pay off as we see at the end. And I think that it just helps to like additionally support why she should have faith in Hopper and believe that he is working in her best interest, even when it doesn't always seem it. Yes. Agreed. Um, so then in the tunnels, Dustin has like a crazy close counter with the spore spewing thing, the mouth thing. Um, yeah. but he seems better than Hopper because he's wearing goggles question mark yeah goggles and a mask i thought this was hilarious like so first of all kids way to go on like dressing appropriately for being in this tunnel hopper could learn a thing or two from you (laughs) um and then secondly i love that this is like a super dramatic dramatic like overacting from dustin so he's like screaming in like this really high-pitched scream and everyone comes back to check on him and then he's like oh wait like actually i'm fine this would (laughs) totally be my reaction though like i would be yeah i don't think that dustin was like purposefully trying to like pull one over on his friends he like legitimately reacted the way I think anyone would react in that situation and then realizes like oh my protective gear worked so he's fine (laughs) I'm good yeah and everyone's just like oh Dustin like I think they don't even necessarily believe that he had any kind of encounter and it's just like oh Oh my god they were like yeah classic Dustin (laughs) yeah (laughs) um 
So they get to that hub, which Mike had pointed out was like the central connected to everything uh, area of the ton- of the tunnels. They douse it excessively in gasoline, and then Steve drops the lighter, which just like sets the place on fire. Uh, yeah. And they start running back towards the hole that they came in on. That's right. So, like, as I was doing these notes, to some extent, I sort of grouped some of the things that happened together. So it's a little bit less back and forth as we're doing the recap. But, um, like, these scenes as they play out in the show are actually very quick flashes between the three different groups that was incredibly impactful. It was just, like, really suspense building. Uh, Again, music used to great effect, like all of this just like coming to a head. And then we get the final scenes at the end, obviously, where Elle faces the big bad, but like just like really well done. Mm -hmm. So um, Will is still screaming and Jonathan thinks they need to stop. Like Jonathan thinks that they are killing Will. And Joyce stands firm that she wants to give it just a little bit longer. And then moments later it pays off because there's like dark veins that are starting to grow up Will's neck and then like in this like burst of energy will rips from his bindings and grabs joyce by the throat and he's like legitimately gonna kill her oh yeah eventually nancy she doesn't have any choice but to just grab a fiery poker and like poke will with it so that he'll let go of joyce's throat and then very soon after that will emits this crazy scream and this like black black cloud like bursts from his mouth which is the mind flayer slash shadow monster exiting his body and then so my question is so we see that this thing like it smashes through the door of the cabin and then sort of dissipates into the night so with the door sorry with the gate closed whatever this portion is of the shadow monster that would also you know like everything is gone once the gate closes at least from our dimension correct there isn't anything we have to worry about with this cloud Right, because, like, it would be part of the overall hive mind. It's a piece of it, and, you know, that was put in. I actually thought someone else was going to get taken over. Like, it was going to come out and go into Jonathan or Nancy or something. Yeah. um, You know, and find a new host. But it doesn't matter because all the demo dogs we see drop dead once the gate closes. So, yes? Question mark? Like... Although, I mean, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but we see that the Mind Flayer itself is not dead. It's just simply out of our dimension and all of his army is dead in our dimension. So, like, mm-hmm. the Mind Flayer is still alive and well, just without a gate to get to our dimension, at least at yes. this point. So, Oh, yeah. I- and I think that's the, you know, direction for season Three. Like, I, I think the ending is really well done, uh, yeah. which we can talk about there. But yeah, like, it's it's stuck over there. Whatever was acting on its behalf on our side seems to no longer be active. Um, right. At least not an immediate threat. And But I definitely think that the Mind Flayer is the continual Coming threat back. as we keep going. Yeah. Right. I was thinking, actually, that season three might be a season that focuses on Brenner and the lab and Callie and stuff like that. And then maybe season four, we'd get back to the mind flare. Like, right. I don't I don't know that they would necessarily do the same big bad two seasons in a row. But either way, I think you're right. Like, that thing is not gone. Not, not dead for good. Right. So ultimately, Will is in rough shape, but the shadow monster is out of his body and he is still alive. Yay! Um, 
So at the lab, uh, as mentioned, this is continuing to intersperse. Um, it's completely overrun by these demo dogs. Hopper is doesn't see any other way other than to try and engage, and he's clearly going to like make this self-sacrificial effort um, to try and take them out, giving a path for L. When um, suddenly they all leave to go address the fire that, of course, the boys started, yeah. um, and. Hopper then gets word from Jonathan that they can close the gate because Will is in the clear. Uh, and they get on this, like, giant kind of lift thing, um, and they lower it until they're, like, face-to-face with the gate while suspended in air. And uh, Elle reaches out and grabs his hand. Uh, oh, my heart. I know. Um, and she is concentrating on closing the gate, and we can see, like, the Mind flare shape is there. Just, like, um, right at the gate. Right. So do you think that this means, like, we are kind of, like, in the nick of time closing this thing? That it, like, was just getting to a point where it would have been able to come through because that's why the gate's been expanding, et cetera? Like, is it... Maybe. Is that why it's I there, mean, like, or? I had similar questions about how at the very end of the episode there was, like, a part of the mind flare, the, you know, there was a very similar black fog that uh comes through the gate so like yeah it seems to me like this shadow monster was on the verge of being able to right break through mm-hmm. um yeah, although so if that's too. the case like i don't know why it wouldn't have broken through in smaller parts before i mean it's a fog it can fit through, through small spaces i would think but like i don't know i do think that this was pretty close to nick of nick of time though right right um, so the kids are running through the tunnel. Uh, they're trying to get back to the opening so that they can climb out. They come face to face with a demo dog and it's dart. So we see oh. a little bit of this payoff from, uh, you know, from our earlier um, predictions because uh, the bond between Dustin and dart does pay off after all. So uh, Dustin approaches him tentatively while the others are telling him that he's crazy. But he's like, trust me, we have a bond. So he speaks to Dart really softly and asks him to let them pass. And then he happens to have a Three Musketeer, which is very convenient, <laughs> that he feeds to Dart. And then at, while he's distracted, uh, everyone sneaks by him. And then like a cute moment here where Dustin is the last to pass and he says goodbye to Dart. And like, you're right, even though these are like horrible ferocious creatures in the vast majority of this show they definitely do uh have some moments of very sort of canine qualities and i don't know there was uh even though even though it's a monster i was a little bit touched by this goodbye me too and and i thought it on the rewatch especially it paid off more because there is a very quick scene um, after L successfully closes the da- gate of Dart yeah. still being in the tunnel by the Three Musketeer bar, yes. which means he didn't follow the hive mind back to attack Eleven and Hopper. That's um, so true. So it's like, I don't know if he was just distracted by nougat or he was able to make a little bit of conscious thought towards the end that he wasn't going to continue like fighting with this whole other pack. But it just I think it's meaningful that he doesn't just fall dead in the at the gate. Yeah, that's a good pickup for sure. And then it's also interesting that you see that he uh, and presumably all of the demo dogs and the vines and everything in that shot is sort of like um, 
uh, it becomes almost like a husk of itself. It becomes all yes. like, you know, dried out and stuff. Because I was kind of wondering, like, what would these tunnels look like after the gate is closed? Um, are there still going to be all kinds of um, alien vines and stuff like that that anyone can kind of stumble across and and despite the fact that it's dead, you know, have discovered an alien life form or whatever. But it right. looks as if everything is kind of all shriveled up and whatever, which I wonder the, is... The fridge? Yeah. Like the, no, the one in the fridge, I'm thinking maybe because it was in the fridge or something, it's the only one right. that might have made it through. And I think Survived. that ultimately that's why that's significant or right. something like that. But yeah, good call on that. Uh, so Elle continues her assault on the gate and what she we have her flashing back to Kali's advice to channel something from her past that makes her angry and she thinks of her time in the lab and the gates begin to close. I thought this was interesting. It's not the way I thought it was going to be. Um, so yeah. she does kind of have success by remembering her anger and channeling her anger. That's right. But ultimately, I think that in uh, in another scene coming up, right away that maybe we can talk about now is that like um, the other images that she gets are the images of the conversation that she's having with Dr. Brenner, which is actually Callie uh, as Dr. Brenner, where he's talking about this wound that is festering mm-hmm. and that will ultimately kill her. And like, so um, I do think that like the, the, that is interspersed with her memories of her opening the gate in the first place, her calling herself a monster. I think that it's like the, the guilt that she has had for inadvertently causing all of this to take place, that the gate itself is the wound that, that she needs to um, stop from festering and like in a very literal way, right? Like that it is growing and spreading and whatever. So I I think that our earlier thought about how it wouldn't be necessarily be anger, but it would be love and healing that would um, really kind of make her powers more, you know, like more powerful than uh, than anything else. I still think that that's true. She did get some additional power by thinking of things that made her angry. But ultimately, what ended up closing the gate was her, you know, like essentially making right the wrongs that she had done even though it was unintentional that was eating her alive you know if it's for the sake of her friends and whatever yeah I think that's a really good point and uh just the amount of power she's able to channel because to your point this is when it seems to like the mind flayer breaks through this kind of like fog arm thing comes at 11 and what she's able to like channel to and clearly it's having a physical effect on her we see her bleeding from both nostrils she like I know it's hard to describe like her face changes gets like yeah it almost like it almost looks like yeah she her she has dark veins in her face or something yeah you know not in Um, the same way that Will does it's not like she has the shadow monster inside her or anything but like yeah 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 um so, like, this is taking place where she is just, like, you know, really laying on the force against the gate. Meanwhile, in the tunnels, um, the demo dogs have arrived and the group is running for their life. And all of the kids are able to make it to the top of the hole except for Steve and Dustin. So they are just bracing themselves for attack. But, of course, the demo dogs run right past them because there is a much bigger foe that they need to fight now, which is yeah. Eleven, who is making real progress in closing the gate. And also you know, you know, 
is like putting a wall of electricity or like wall of power between her and the fog that is coming out of the out of the gate so like it is just hitting this wall instead of being able to get to her like she's lifted off the ground she's so powerful it's so Um, cool yeah like she's like floating there in this like huge cavern it's yeah it's amazing exactly and then we see all of the lights and the whole town like have this surge of electricity and become incredibly bright for for just a moment and then she does it Though she closes the gate. Yay, Al! And then it's just like <laughs> like a really quick round table of, you know, L collapses in exhaustion, demo dogs falling dead all around them, lights returning to normal, and then Hopper h- hugs Al and tells her that, oh. you did good, kid. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, she's a fucking superstar. <laughs> she really, really is. <laughs> you amazing. saved the world. L. You really did. Uh, so then we flash forward to one month later, um, and we get a soldier locking a gate with restricted area written on a sign, and it is the lab. Um, and there's a whole caravan of military police and military vehicles that seem to be leaving town. Uh, Murray is sitting outside with a six-pack, uh, watching and waving to them as they drive by. And we get this um, news report, this kind of like voiceover on top of it about um, basically what we saw Jonathan and Nancy do in terms of sending the, you know, information to the news. And that a number of high ranking officials in the Department of Energy have admitted it, admitted to involvement in the death and cover up of Barb's death. Um, And that then we get a shot of her funeral uh, and yeah. her parents are very devastated. Um, but at least they have closure now. Agreed. And uh, and they say that Barb died due to exposure to an experimental chemical asphyxiate, asphyxiate uh, which leaked from the grounds of the lab. Or a Demogorgon. You know, one one or the other. One or the other. One of those two things. Um, I will mention that mm-hmm. it is one month later and therefore the election has passed and Hopper is still police chief. <laughs> so <laughs> so that, that particular theory was ridiculous. Well, we got nothing there except for, I guess, to put us in a time and place. But <laughs> there's lots of other little things that have turned out to be very big things. So I thought it was a very good theory, Kim. Thank you. Um, so Hopper arrives at a restaurant. He's meeting Dr. Owens, and they are on really good terms. Uh, they are um, uh, sitting down to, you know, discuss Eleven. I mean, Hopper. Sorry, Owens has something for Hopper. It turns out to be a birth certificate for Eleven. Um, so this is a bit of a surprise to Hopper. So I'm not sure what they were intending to meet for, since this isn't something that Hopper was expecting. Maybe they were just like friends meeting for lunch, which is nice. Um, so the birth certificate says uh, Jane Hopper, um, and he Owens tells Hopper that maybe he should give it a year before like Eleven fully comes out to live her normal life. Eleven slash Jane, which I will now have to call her. <laughs> I like that he, like, de- declines the half of the, like, pastrami sandwich being, like, I'm on a diet. And then as soon as he finds out he has to keep her hidden for another year, he's like, no, <laughs> he's like, <laughs> Oh, my God. You were so right. Like, the, the dieting of Hopper was mentioned so many times it has to be for a purpose. And I yeah. think that, like, it's, it's – he's got to be, like, getting in shape for Hellboy. He is. So when, 
like when he I comes back for about... season three, he's going to yeah. be like super fit and have to yeah. have to have some kind of explanation for why he's super jacked now. Well, and I felt really bad for David Harbour because like I read an article and they're like, you may have noticed he's much more fit in this season. I was like, he is? <laughs> oh, no. Um, do you remember? Did you watch Parks and Recreation? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, Chris Pratt in Parks Chris and Pratt, Recreation yeah. was always like very soft, very round, yeah. right? And then he like he just dropped fifty pounds and got jacked yeah. up and like starred in Gar- Guardians of the Galaxy, and then came back the next season and they were like, "Wow, you're really looking fit." And he was like, "You know what? I stopped drinking beer and I lost like fifty pounds in a month. It was crazy because <laughs> like no time was supposed to have passed on the show, but like." <laughs> There was no way that like it, there were, there was a plausible explanation for getting that fit in no time whatsoever. I've become the most bankable movie star in the world over the past <laughs> in the past month. It's really amazing. I know. Exactly. And like, I mean, Hellboy will be quite the. Uh, I mean, that's like obviously there's a lot of like additional effects to make you look like Hellboy. Like they've shown the what? first picture and you can you can barely even see david harbour in there it's it's crazy but yes i agree that the diet thing is is clearly being referenced and uh will affect the the shooting of the next season so yeah it'll be interesting yeah absolutely so ultimately when harper is told sorry when hopper is told that uh he shouldn't bring l out of hiding for at least a year he uh does confirm that maybe just one night would be okay See, this is like his growth where he yep. is not going to keep her completely, you know, hidden away. Um, so then it's the snowball preparation. That's the one night. It's yes. the uh, Also, like, I wish my middle school dances were decorated like this. Like, I know. So it looked so amazing. Impressive. It looks amazing. We um, used to have the giant. Did you guys have the giant, like, uh, much music yeah. screens? Oh, yeah, Video we did screens. too. Yeah. And then it was like you would you would ask the person that you really like to dance um, for either November Rain or like I would do anything for love because they were like 11 <laughs> minutes long. <laughs> uh, my school dances still played Stairway to Heaven. And I will say I did not grow up in the 70s. So like <laughs> I think it's, it's yeah. so weird. We clearly had the worst DJs. Um <laughs> But uh, so there's a couple of like getting ready scenes very much like the uh, the Halloween costumes. Uh, Will and Joyce are practicing dancing and Jonathan's filming them with Bob's camera. Oh, and I love when when Will's like, is this really how they dance? And Jonathan's like, yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) no, it's not. Uh, Mike is super unimpressed as Karen continues to use a Polaroid to take his uh, picture. Lucas is incredibly awkwardly practicing asking Max to dance and oh, being heckled by Erica. Yeah. Just like all of these attempts were amazing. Um, <laughs> and Dustin is madly searching for something that he needs. His mom is holding a new cat. So Muse has been replaced. Yeah. Sorry, Muse. Uh, and ultimately, it's his Farrah Fawcett hairspray that he needs. And then the doorbell rings and he's told his ride is here. And it's Steve. How adorable is this? Steve, you have won me over so hard. Like, I love him now. Like, he doesn't even go in. He's not helping out. He's just there to pep talk 
Dustin and give him a ride to the dance. He's like a big brother figure. I know. Um, And I... There's just, like, one other quick thing that, like, the um, actor who plays Dustin was talking about how, like, until now, like, Steve is extra important because Dustin only lives, like, his only female interaction is his mom. And his mom thinks that everything he does is so cool. And so he just assumes that all girls must think that, you know, what his mom (laughs) thinks is cool is cool. I thought that was such a good point, you know, as to why he thinks Dart will be so interesting to Max because, like... His mom is so supportive. And so Steve is a really good uh, person to be like, no, girls are not going to think that's cool. I am so happy that Steve told him to stop purring like that. (laughs) It makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it at all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And let's just talk about Dustin's hair because it is is the best. And you kids are all dumbasses if you don't think it looks incredibly cool. Like, I, Dustin looks way cooler than all of you times a million. Like, yeah. Everything about his ensemble. Exactly. I mean, like, he looked great. And yeah. Steve gave him the cutest pep talk. And when he started to feel self conscious, Steve was like, hey, don't like stop. You look great. Just go in there yeah. and act like you don't care. And I really was hoping that things would work out a little bit better for Dustin than they ended up. Um, working out but like yeah. Nancy comes to the rescue a little bit which is also so cute I just love yeah. them all agreed um, so we have that quick moment where Steve sort of sees Nancy through the through the window as she's yeah. volunteering at the dance and he seems to kind of like I mean he doesn't say anything but what I picture him thinking is like Steve you idiot like you'd let her get away do you think there's yeah, going think- to be any more love triangle in future seasons or I don't know like I also really quick at Barb's funeral it's Nancy and Jonathan standing together and Steve is there but he's not like he's apart from them um yeah you know I I don't know can you really milk the triangle for much more between the three of them in the sense that what she's just going to keep going like back Back and and forth forth. yeah and if you didn't fall in love with Steve after everything he just did in this season then I think it's not meant to be like if you were gonna fall in love with the hero it's Steve it's not Jonathan like what did Jonathan really do other than be a sidekick uh and like incredibly loving of his little brother you know yeah um and I completely agree I think that the I think the triangle has played out um, I think that it would be fun in a future season to uh, see a different romantic interest for Steve potentially, mm-hmm. but like that's just because I love shipping and uh, although I'm terrible at it, I just like, I like to, you know, guess what's oh, going to no, no, happen next, too. but yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So Dustin comes into the dance. He finds his friends. They give him a little bit of shit about his hair, but like, he's like, Hey, I worked hard on this and I look good. So a slow song comes on. Lucas like super awkwardly tries to ask Max, Max to dance, and ultimately like she she just like thank you God know, puts, makes yeah. it easy on him and uh, and says like come on stalker. Uh, Will gets asked to dance by a completely random girl, <laughs> which is I mean like good for you, Will. Uh, yeah, I could have done without the zombie boy, but at least now it's being used sort of as a term of endearment instead of as bullying. That's right. Um, so Dustin approaches a group of girls to ask one to dance and he is cruelly rebuffed. These girls then, are bitches. Like, yeah, they I, are. like, and he, I love when he's like, shall we? I know. <laughs> like, like such confidence. Yeah. So he moves towards some other girls and they walk oh. away to avoid him. 
And then it's this shot that from Nancy's perspective where she sees Dustin in the crowd just looking sort of forlorn and alone and not knowing what to do next that broke my heart. Yeah. So um, she finds him sort of like crying on the bench, you know, mm. trying to be discreet and she asks him to dance. And this works out really well, though honestly, I don't think it would play well in real life. Like, I think that it would kind of look a little bit like a pity dance. But right. in the show, at least, the the um, popular girls that turned him down were very impressed that he was dancing with this beautiful older woman. Right. Anyway, so Nancy tells him he's always been the favorite of, of Mike's friends and then tells him that he's going to be a lady killer when he gets just a little bit older and makes Dustin feel much better. So... Good for you, Nancy. I'm glad you did that. Me too. And I love her, like, their interaction and, like, their jokiness as they continue to dance. They look really, yeah. you know, there's a comfort there. Yes. Uh, and then for all you shippers, outside, Hopper and Joyce are, have this incredible moment together. And I know it's too soon because of Bob, but I just am, like, super glad that we got this little quick scene with them. Um, Hopper finds Joyce waiting for the car waiting by the car for Will. I love her thing about she's like giving him a couple feet. I mean, how is Joyce ever going to leave Will's side ever again? Never. (laughs) Never. She left him and then this happened. Like, yeah. Um, So they share a cigarette with that same joke about, you know, the principal who used to catch them. And he asks her how how she's doing. And this is where he talks about it getting easier every day, uh, even though, you know, it doesn't seem like it. And of course... Hopper is coming from an incredibly legit place with uh, yeah. with that advice. And just, like, the way he puts his arm around her and, like, I know. she holds his hand is just, like... And also, I, I mean, Winona Ryder is, like, the tiniest little person of all time. <laughs> she just yes. looks, like, I mean, the two so of them, I mean, little. like, he's, like, a foot and a half taller than her. He is. I had to look up how tall he is. He's only six foot two. I mean, he's tall. Oh, but I thought like, he he's was, not, like, like, six five. Right. Me too. No, I think Winona Ryder is actually very, very tiny. Like five foot, maybe like, five foot one. Yeah. That's a exactly. guess. But. Um, oh, my God. They're adorable together. And uh, yeah. obviously I loved Bob and I miss Bob. But I always wanted Hopper and Joyce to be to be um, to end up together. And I think it's looking that way. And so, of course, I picture this adorable little family of 11. Will, Joyce and Hopper. And it makes me happy. Um, yeah. Like it. I just, I want that. So. That group that was in the cabin, you know, when Elle first comes back and like saves them. Like that is a group that, I mean, because you know when um, uh, it's referenced earlier, like Jonathan and Nancy are so close because they have, what what does he say? Shared experience or whatever. Shared trauma. Um, shared trauma. Like you want to talk about, Maurice says that, you want to talk about shared trauma that group has been through it in spades. Like I can, you know, no one will ever know what they went through together. And now they're having all these kind of interconnectivity and cross whatever. Um, And you can't imagine that there's not going to be this like growing family bond between everybody. It's just, I'm really looking forward to that continuing. I agree. Do you think maybe Jonathan and Steve will ever become friends? Well, it's like, I wonder if that could, you know, I mean, it's, it's impressive that, I think Steve has grown so much and that he was at Barb's funeral and that he will, I think, continue. He's clearly still with Dustin as a, like, older brother figure. I think that's super true. And so it would be great if we could have, like, a peace come there and in more easiness with each other uh, as time goes by, maybe. And I think if Steve were uh, not romantically pining after Nancy, that that would really help. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's that relationship. true. 
but like okay like last little thing that I'll say about shipping too is just like you know like one of the things that I think became really evident in this season is like as likable as Steve is I never as he is now I should say like I never really liked him with with Nancy and I think I didn't even necessarily know why but one of the things that became evident is that like you know with the relationship of Nancy and Jonathan like Nancy is the hero and like yeah agree you know she is the one who is um making the hard choices, stepping out out front. And and Jonathan is, you know, like an absolute partner and cohort to her. We talked about how we really like the scheming and stuff that they do together. But like when it comes down to someone who needs to like protect them, it ends up being Nancy. When it ends up being someone needing to make a hard choice uh, to get Will to stop choking Joyce, Nancy is the one who grabs the poker and whatever. Like mm-hmm. I think that they sort of work well off each other in in their oppositeness, you know? And uh, Great point. Yeah. yeah. So in any case, like I I think that that really hit home how much I like Jonathan and Nancy together and with a with a reason instead of just like my gut tells me I like them more than I like Nancy and Steve, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's really really valid. Um okay, so yes, we have the like lovely holding of each other of Hopper and Joyce. And then we're back inside where Mike is sitting alone and Eleven walks in and he tells her that she looks beautiful and asks her to dance. And then there's a quick shot of all four boys dancing with their respective ladies. And then there's a quick kiss from Max, like Max uh, kisses Lucas quickly. And then like a long shot of Mike and Eleven kissing. (laughs) Uh, yeah, we talked shipping so much this like <laughs> the past like 10 minutes. But I do think that the show is giving us sort of like some closure and reinforcing mm-hmm. relationships. We didn't see Eleven with this group very much as we had mentioned, so certainly the show is confirming that this connection is stronger than ever. Um and it was very sweet and I loved it. So then there's a pull-out shot of the whole gym and then outside we see uh we see the school and then the camera slowly turns upside down. The music kind of gets really distant and echoey and then we see the exact same shot but this time in the upside down. The mind flayer stands over the building sort of menacingly and like storm rages in the background. End and I think it's season. significant that it's it's the police singing every breath you take. You know, like I really the impression I get in this is that the shadow monster is stalking the boys. Um, and Ooh. the reason he's above the school dance is because like the in the upside down is because it knows, knows that that's there. where they are now. And that now, instead of it, like, taking advantage of opportunities, it may try and make opportunities to, you know, reconnect and get its revenge, you know, and get through to... I think that that makes complete sense. Essentially, the description that we had of the Mind Flayer is that it considers itself to be a a superior race and that it wants to enslave inferior races. And now it's been bested by Eleven. So I think that, you know, it probably wants to... Uh, prove its domination by ultimately bringing down this group that resulted in its ousting from like from an entire dimension like if it is truly the superior race as it thinks it is it's going to want to prove that by bringing these these guys down so 
Like, absolutely, we have not seen the last of the Shadow Monster. Um, well, how humiliating is it that the people, like, the warriors that defeated you celebrate by going to the snowball? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a traditional defeat. So, um, but I just love that pull away, the the rotating of the camera. I, I don't know, just incredibly well done. Uh, for the end of it and that's a wrap on season two yeah Ah. I loved it there's lots of lots of unanswered questions still but I certainly feel like that was a a pretty tidy wrap-up of um, a lot of the dominant themes in season two and still of course looking forward to seeing what happens with Callie what happens with Brenner like there's lots of things still going on um, and hopefully this time next year we will be back discussing season three and uh, like just having the best time ever. This was so much fun. Thanks for listening, you guys. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. And uh, certainly if you have been following us and you want to check out something else that we've done, we are currently recapping The Walking Dead. We have also done recaps of Westworld, Humans, and Glow, uh, which is another Netflix uh, series. And we appreciate we've gotten some suggestions and requests uh, to do some other things. And if you have ideas of things, we're always looking for uh, new shows to recap, especially as shows we're recapping keep getting pushed out longer and longer <laughs> in terms of coming back. I know Westworld getting, season two like production was just put on hiatus. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So if so, you have suggestions, please send them to kjrecaps.com slash feedback. Yeah. And this has been a lot of fun. So thank you, Kim. And thank you for suggesting it was Kim's idea to do the podcast and Kim's idea to start with Stranger Things. And I think they're both excellent ideas. So thank you, Kimmy. This has been really, really fun. For me, too. Thank you so much, Jess. And thank you all. We'll see you in uh, in a year. That's perfect. Kim and Jess signing off. <laughs> Bye. Bye.